0: So welcome to our catechism class and today in this lesson we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41, question 109. The catechist in question 109 asks this question, does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? The answer is since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy therefore he forbids all unchaste acts gestures words thoughts desires and whatever may entice us to unchastity so the catechist is still dealing with the seventh commandment which is thou shalt not commit adultery and he's already taught us what that entails and why God has forbidden any form of sexual activity outside of the lifelong marriage of one man and one woman, excluding all others. In question one hundred and nine, he goes further, and he applies the lesson that we learned last time to our own personal lives. That's what makes the Heidelberg Catechism so warm, uh, so helpful. It doesn't just simply state doctrine. Uh, the catechist makes it personal. How will the seventh commandment affect me, whether I'm single or married? And his answer is simple. It is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality... Sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, the question for us is what will that involve, keeping ourselves holy and pure? Well, the opposite to purity and holiness, of course, is impurity and filthiness. And the Catechist gives us a list. He reminds us that God forbids all impure acts, all impure gestures, impure words. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 says, Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks impure thoughts too and desires and impure temptations Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 and Jesus said you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman who lusts after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, practically speaking, how do we avoid impure acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and temptations? Well, thankfully, God is very merciful to us. He has given us a very practical way to cope with our human condition our temptation to lust after others in a sinful and sexual manner. He's given us something called the ordinance of marriage. It's God's unique gift to humanity. So we're going to see in Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 to 11 how marriage helps us with sexual temptation so in this passage first corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 to 11 paul is talking about christian marriage but we must be clear that the single life also can be a very blessed life indeed in fact in first corinthians 7 paul says it is not it is good for a man not to touch a woman for i wish that all men were even as i myself But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So Paul himself at this stage in his life was single. He begins his teaching by saying that it is good not to marry. It fits in well with the context. But it's not what the Greek is saying. The NIV um, translation here, good not to marry is not as good a translation as the A.V. and the New King James, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul is meaning more than just abstaining from marriage. He's setting a very high standard of morality indeed. He's demanding that the highest estate of man is to be so highly occupied with the things of God that marriage and sex and earthly companionship are not even part of his consideration. her consideration but such singleness requires great self-control doesn't it the roman catholic church for many centuries has demanded celibacy on the part of its clergy and as we now know over the years that has had very tragic results indeed in verse 8 of first corinthians chapter 7 paul says but i say to the unmarried and to the widows It is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control let them marry. That would have been good advice for some of those clergy who have been found uh, committing terrible sexual sins. They would have been far better off just simply having a wife, enjoying a married relationship So being single requires a very careful examination of our friendships and of our relationships. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 Paul says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And um, Corinth where uh, Paul was writing to at that time the city of Corinth was a very pagan society. Sexual vice was one of the main industries of the city. And you can see that every time a Christian walked down the street, a Corinthian Christian would have been faced with sexual temptation. Now how will you deal with that if you are single? Single. The demand for godly focus with no earthly distractions is simply not possible for the vast majority of us. We are far too weak. There are so few men like Paul who are so totally dedicated to God's work that they have no thought of anything else. Thankfully God has made allowances for us. He has given us an institution called marriage so that we might have our earthly desires met And still remain within God's will. Nothing has changed. Our hearts are as deceitful and desperately wicked as they ever were. And yet there is one thing that has changed. Our ability to communicate, Vile filth and pornography and paedophilia Has improved beyond the wildest dreams of the first century Corinthian pervert. The Corinthian had to leave his home and go out into the streets to be tempted by the puerile fornication of this world. We have it in our homes, courtesy of television and the internet. The principle that Paul is teaching us here then is this. It would be perfect for a man or a woman to be so godly that he or she never even thinks of another person. Sexually speaking. But since such people are so few, and since society is so corrupt, and since sexual temptation is all around, every man should have one woman to be his own wife. And every woman should have one man to be her own husband. And So in verse 2 of First Corinthians 7, Paul says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, Let each man have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. So marriage is our defence against sexual temptation. I might ask the question, why is society crumbling around us today? Well, I think it's because biblical principles are being discarded in favour of modern, politically correct dogma. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 talks about the corruption that is in the world through lust. And there's no doubt that sexual lust, perversion, corrupts everything. So Paul urges his readers to marry in line with biblical teaching. One man, one woman, one single monogamous unit for life. Marriage is the will of God. It is the plan of God, it is the gift of God. It is the antidote to sexual immorality. It's better to marry, says Paul, than to burn with passion. Of course, that's not the only reason to marry. Maybe it's not even the main reason to marry. But it's an important reason why God gave us marriage. Although our modern society has degraded the holy state of marriage, it is God's way for men and women to live together happily. It's a proper setting. For raising children. What does marriage involve? Well, Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about mutual love. In verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to the husband. That's not emotional love or sexual attraction. Not even romance. Although all those things do contribute to happily married lives. Our love for each other in marriage is to be like the love of Christ. A pale reflection perhaps of that divine love. But a love that issues and acts in giving, in forgiving, in loving, even when we are lovable. Because that's how Christ loved us. He loved us when we were still sinners. We should love each other in that manner. It's about not just mutual love but mutual respect. In verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Paul says the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does. Now of course we know that there's a doctrine of headship where Christ is the head of the church and the man is the head of the wife but That's not about domination or enslavement. In respect of our married physical relationships, we belong to each other. We are equal in every respect. We have mutual respect, one for the other. Mutual love, mutual respect, mutual agreement. In Corinth, some people may have gone to extremes. They may have decided that because... um, The society around them was so sexually sinful that for Christians it was better not to have any form of sexual activity whatsoever. They may have said that sexual activity is sinful in and of itself and therefore even husbands and wives should avoid such contact lest they sin. So in verse 5 Paul says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not a commandment. Christians who are married must not deny each other. And the only time that they ever should deny each other is so that they may have seasons of prayer and fasting. A marriage relationship needs to be complete in every respect. In fact, the Christian marriage should be so sexually satisfying that neither party will ever want to look astray. Mutual love, mutual respect, mutual agreement, mutual commitment. Till death us do part, is what the old marriage vow says. And Paul writes in verse 10, Now to the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Verse 11. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Marriage is truly for life. So we've seen our instructors remedy for human lust, the temptation to drift into sin. We are to be holy. We're to be clean before God. And that would be a challenge for us. It will be a special challenge for you if you're single. You will have to find your identity and your fulfilment in Christ. For those who cannot follow that high calling but find themselves needful of sexual comfort, and that is, to be fair, the most of us, then they are to find that in marriage, in a husband or a wife. And they are live to, to live together in a faithful, loving Married relationship. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.